0: chapter 3 of the cat of bubastis a tale of ancient egypt this librivox recording is in the public domain the cat of bubastis by g a henty chapter 3 captive so confident were the rebu that if the egyptians dug through their walls or even threw them down by undermining them they could repel their assault that they took but little heed to the huts established at the foot of the wall except that a strong body of men were stationed behind the walls half of whom were always to be under arms in readiness to repel the egyptians should they burrow through this confidence proved their ruin the egyptians were thoroughly accustomed to mining operations and were fully aware that were they to pierce the wall the rebu could at once overwhelm the small working parties They, therefore, after penetrating a considerable distance into the embankment, drove right and left, making an excavation of considerable size, the roof being supported by beams and planks hauled up at night. The number of those employed in the work was increased as fast as there was room for them, and while the Rebu thought that there were at most a dozen men in each of the sheltered places, there were at the end of twenty-four hours fully two hundred men at work in the heart of the embankment at each point the egyptian king had ordered the chief of his engineers to have everything in readiness for the capture of the city by the end of the third day each night the numbers of workmen increased while the excavations were carried in further and further no picks were used in the work the earth being cut away with wide daggers Absolute silence was enjoined among the workers, and they were thus enabled to extend their excavations close to the surface without the defenders having an idea of their proximity. The distance that they were from the inner face was ascertained by boring through at night-time with spears. By the end of the third day the excavations had been carried so far that there was but a foot or so of earth remaining, this being kept from moving, on pressure from the outside, by a lining of boards supported by beams thus at twenty points the egyptians were in readiness to burst through among the unsuspecting defenders as soon as it was dark the preparations for the assault began great numbers of stagings of vast length had been prepared together with an immense number of broad and lofty ladders these last were brought forward noiselessly to the foot of the cliff and great numbers of the Egyptians mounted before the alarm was given by those on the walls. But by this time the excavations were all crowded with men. The Egyptian army now advanced with shouts to the assault. The great stages were brought forward by the labor of thousands of men and placed against the cliff. The besieged had now rushed to defend the walls, and volleys of missiles of all sorts were poured down upon the Egyptians as they strove to mount the ladders and stages, No one thought of any possible danger from the little shelters lying at the foot of the wall, and the den was so great that the work of digging through the remaining wall of earth was unheard. The troops who had been specially told off to watch these points had joined their comrades on the walls, and none marked the stream of dark figures which presently began to pour from the embankment at twenty different points." at last the besieged whose hopes were rising as the egyptians appeared to falter under the showers of missiles poured down were startled by the sound of a trumpet in their rear a sound which was answered instantly from a score of points rushing with cries of dismay to the back of the rampart they saw dark bodies of footmen drawn up in regular order and a rain of arrows was opened upon them the rebu without a moment's hesitation rushed down to attack the foes who had gained a footing they scarce knew how in their fortress but each of the egyptian companies was four hundred strong composed of picked troops and these for a time easily beat off the irregular attacks of the rebu amusis and the other leaders of the rebu strove to get their men into solid order for so alone could they hope to break the phalanxes of the egyptians but the confusion was too great in the meantime the egyptians outside had taken advantage of the diversion created by the attack within and poured up their ladders and stagings in vast numbers some dragging up ladders after them planted them against the walls others poured through by the passages which had been dug and these as soon as they were numerous enough ascended the embankments from behind and fell upon the rebus still defending the wall Never did the tribesmen fight with greater bravery, but the completeness of the surprise, the number of Egyptians who had established themselves in their rear, the constant pushing in of reinforcements both through and over the wall, rendered it impossible for them to retrieve their fortunes, and in the confusion and darkness they were unable to distinguish friend from foe. The various battalions and companies were hopelessly mixed together, the orders of their leaders and officers were unheard in the den." upon the egyptian side everything had been carefully planned one of the companies which first entered had made their way quietly along the foot of the wall and were not noticed until they suddenly threw themselves upon defenders of one of the gates as soon as they had obtained possession of this great fires were lighted and a large body of egyptian troops headed by engineers carrying beams and planks advanced the gaps across the roadway were bridged over and the egyptians poured in at the gate before the rebu could dislodge the party which had taken possession of it every moment added to the confusion of the scene to the rebu it seemed as if their foes were springing from the very earth upon them and despairing of regaining the ground that had been lost They began to break away and make some for their homes, some for the water-face of the city, the only one which was open to them, for the Egyptians were now pressing forward from the three other faces of the town. The boats lying along the sand were quickly crowded with fugitives and pushed off from shore, and those who arrived later found all means of escape gone. Some threw down their arms and made their way to their homes, others ran back to meet the Egyptians and die fighting. It was some hours before the conflict ceased, for the Egyptians too were confused with the darkness, and many desperate fights took place between different battalions before they discovered they were friends. Light was gained by firing numbers of the houses lying nearest to the walls, but as soon as the Egyptians advanced beyond the arc of light, they were fiercely attacked by the Rebu, and at last the trumpets sounded the order for the troops to remain in the positions they occupied until daylight." as soon as morning broke a vast crowd of women were seen advancing from the centre of the town as they neared the egyptians they threw themselves on the ground with loud cries for mercy there was a pause and then some egyptian officers advanced and bade a score of the women follow them to the presence of the king thotmes had entered with the troops who made their way into the city by the gate but yielding to the entreaties of the officers that he would not expose himself to be killed in the confusion perhaps by an arrow shot by his own soldiers he had retired to the plain and had just returned to take part in the occupation of the city the rebu women were led to him over ground thickly covered with dead fully half the defenders of the city had fallen while the loss of the egyptians had been almost as large The women threw themselves on their faces before the great monarch and implored mercy for themselves their children and the remnant of the men of the city thotmes was well satisfied he had captured a city which was regarded as impregnable he had crushed the people who had inflicted defeats upon his predecessors he had added to his own glory and to the renown of the egyptian arms The disposition of the Egyptians was lenient, human sacrifices were unknown to their religion, and they do not appear at any time to have slain in cold blood captives taken in war. Human life was held at a far higher value in Egypt than among any other nation of antiquity, and the whole teaching of their laws tended to create a disposition toward mercy. An interpreter translated to the king the words of the women, "'As all resistance ceased,' the king asked have all the men laid down their arms the women exclaimed that there was not now an armed man in the city all the weapons having been collected during the night and placed in piles in the open space in front of the entrance to the palace did i give to all their lives the king said graciously when i fight with cowards i have little mercy upon them for men who are not brave are unfit to live but when i fight with men i treat them as men the rebu are a valiant people but as well might the jackal fight with the lion as the rebu opposed themselves to the might of egypt they fought bravely in the field and they have bravely defended their walls therefore i grant life to all in the city men women and children where is your king he died in the battle four days since the women replied where is your queen she drank poison last night preferring to join her husband than to survive the capture of the city thotmes had now ordered the whole of the inhabitants to be taken out to the plain and kept there under a guard the town was then methodically searched and everything of value brought together the king set aside a certain portion of the golden vessels for the services of the temple some he chose for himself and after presenting others to his generals ordered the rest to be divided among the troops he then ordered a hundred captives fifty young men and fifty maidens of the highest rank to be selected to be taken to egypt as slaves and then fixed the tribute which the rebu were in future to pay the army then evacuated the city and the inhabitants were permitted to return the next day messengers arrived from the other rebu towns the fall of the capital which had been believed to be impregnable after so short a siege had struck terror into the minds of all and the messengers brought offers of submission to the king with promises to pay any tribute that he might lay upon them the king well satisfied with his success and anxious to return to egypt from which he had been absent nearly two years replied graciously to the various deputations, informing them that he had already fixed the tribute that the nation was to pay annually, and ordered a contribution to be sent at once by each city in proportion to its size. In a few days the required sums, partly in money, partly in vessels of gold, embroidered robes, and other articles of value, were brought in. When the full amount had been received, the camp was struck and the army started on their long march back to Egypt, an officer of high rank being left as governor of the newly captured province, with ten thousand men as a garrison. Amuba was one of the fifty selected as slaves. Amusis had escaped in the confusion, as had many others. Jethro was also one of the selected band. Amuba was for a time careless of what befell him the news of the death of his mother which had met him as after fighting to the last he returned to the palace had been a terrible blow following as it did so closely upon the loss of his father and the overthrow of the nation his mother had left the message for him that although as life had no longer a charm for her she preferred death to the humiliation of being carried a prisoner to egypt she trusted that he would bear the misfortunes which had fallen on him and his people with submission and patience he was young and there was no saying what the future had in store for him you will doubtless my son were the words of her message be carried away captive into egypt but you may yet escape some day and rejoin your people or may meet with some lot in which you may find contentment or even happiness there at any rate my last words to you are bear patiently whatever may befall you remember always that your father was king of the rebu and whatever your station in life may be try to be worthy of the rank to which you were born there is no greater happiness on a throne than in a cottage men make their own happiness and a man may be respected even though only a slave may the gods of your country preside over and protect you always the message was delivered by an old woman who had been with the queen since her birth and struck down with grief as amuba was at his mother's death he yet acknowledged to himself that even this loss was less hard to bear than the knowledge that she who had been so loved and honored by the people should undergo the humiliation of being dragged a slave in the train of the conquering egyptians he was however so prostrate with grief that he obeyed with indifference the order to leave the city and was scarcely moved when the egyptian officer appointed to make the selection chose him as one of the party that were to be taken as slaves to egypt Prostrate as he was, however, he felt it to be a satisfaction and comfort when he found that Jethro was also of the party set aside. "'It is selfish, Jethro,' he said, for me to feel glad that you too are to be dragged away as a slave, but it will be a great comfort to have you with me. I know almost all the others of the party, but to none shall I be able to talk of my father and mother and my home here, as I should to you whom I have known so long.' i am not sorry that i have been chosen jethro said for i have no family ties and now that the rebu are a conquered people i should have little satisfaction in my life here when we get to egypt we shall probably be separated but there is a march of months duration before us and during that time we may at least be together since then my being with you is as you say prince a comfort to you i am well content that i have been chosen i thought it a hard thing when my wife died but a few weeks after our marriage now i rejoice that it was so and that i can leave without any one's heart being wrung at my departure you and i prince perhaps of all those chosen will feel the least misery at the fate that has befallen us most of those here are leaving wives and children behind some of the youngest are still unmarried but they have fathers and mothers from whom they will be separated therefore let us not bemoan our lot for it might have been worse and our life in egypt may not be wholly unbearable that is just what my dear mother said jethro amuba replied repeating the message the queen had sent him my dear mistress was right jethro said we may find happiness in egypt as elsewhere and now let us try to cheer up our companions for in cheering them we shall forget our own misfortunes jethro and amuba went among the rest of the captives most of whom were prostrated with grief and did their best to rouse them from their stupor the egyptians have seen that the rebu are men in the field amuba said to some of them let them see that we can also bear misfortune like men grieving will not mitigate our lot nay it will add to its burden if the egyptians see that we bear our fate manfully they will have far more compassion upon us than if they see we bemoan ourselves remember we have a long and toilsome journey before us and shall need all our strength After all, the hardship of our lot is as nothing to that of the women yonder. We are accustomed to exercise and toil, but the journey, which we can support as well as the Egyptians, will be terrible to them, delicate in nature as they are. Let us therefore set them an example of courage and patience. Let us bear ourselves as men whose suffering is unmerited, who have been conquered but not disgraced, who are prepared to defy fate and not to succumb to it. Amuba's words had a great effect upon the captives. They regarded him with respect as the son of their late king, and as one who would have been king himself had not this misfortune befallen them. And his calmness and manly speech encouraged them to strive against their grief, and to look their fate more hopefully in the face. As long as the army remained in camp, the hands of the captives were tied behind them. But when the march was begun, they were relieved of their bonds, and were placed in the center of an Egyptian regiment it was a long and tedious journey on the way the train of captives was very largely increased by those who had been taken in the earlier conquests of the army and who had been left in charge of the troops told off to the various provinces brought into subjection by the egyptians until the army passed through on its homeward march provisions had been everywhere collected to supply it on its progress and as the distance traversed each day was small the captives suffered but little until they entered upon the passage of the desert tract between the southern point of syria and the mouth of the nile here although vast quantities of water were carried in the train of the army the supply given to the captives was extremely small and as the sun blazed down with tremendous heat and they were half suffocated by the dust which rose in clouds under the feet of the vast body of men their sufferings were very severe the rebu captives had gained the respect of the troops who escorted them by their manly bearing and the absence of the manifestations of grief which were betrayed by most of the other captives the regiment was composed of libyan mercenaries hardy active men inured alike to heat and fatigue during the three months which the march had occupied amuba and jethro and indeed most of the captives had acquired some knowledge of the egyptian language jethro had from the first impressed upon the young prince the great advantage this would be to them in the first place it would divert their thoughts from dwelling upon the past and in the second it would make their lot more bearable in egypt You must remember, he said, that we shall be slaves, and masters are not patient with their slaves. They give them orders, and if the order is not understood, so much the worse for the slaves. It will add to our value, and therefore obtain for us better treatment, if we are able to converse in their tongue. Amuba was thankful indeed when the grey monotony of the desert was succeeded by the bright verdure of the plains of Egypt as they entered the land the order in which they had marched was changed and the long line of captives followed immediately after the chariot of the king each of them was laden with a portion of the spoil taken from their native country amuba bore on his head a large golden vase which had been used in the ceremonies of the temple jethro carried a rich helmet and armor which had belonged to the king the first city they entered amuba was astonished at the massive splendour of the buildings and at the signs of comfort and wealth which everywhere met his eye the streets were thronged with people who bending to the ground shouted their acclamations as the king passed along and who gazed with interest and surprise at the long procession of captives representing the various nations who had been subjected to his arms most of all he was surprised at the temples with their long avenues of sphinxes the gigantic figures representing the gods the rows of massive pillars the majesty and grandeur of the edifices themselves how were they built jethro he exclaimed over and again how were these massive stones placed in order how did they drag these huge figures across the plains what tools could they have used to carve them out of the solid granite i am afraid amuba jethro said grimly for the lad had positively forbidden him to address him any longer as prince saying that such title addressed to a slave was no better than mockery we are likely to learn to our cost before long how they manage these marvels for marvels they assuredly are it must have taken the strength of thousands of men to have transported even one of these strange figures and although the people themselves may have aided in the work you may be sure the slaves bore the brunt of it but what is the meaning of these figures jethro surely neither in this country nor in any other are there creatures with the faces of women and the bodies of lions and great wings such as these have Some, too, have the faces of men and the bodies of bulls, while others have heads like birds and bodies like those of men. Assuredly, there can be no such creatures, Amuba, and I wonder that a people so enlightened and wise as the Egyptians should choose such strange figures for their gods. I can only suppose that these figures represent their attributes rather than the gods themselves. Do you see, the human head may represent their intelligence, the bodies of the lions or bulls their strength and power, the wings of the bird their swiftness. I do not know that it is so, but it seems to me that it is possible that it may be something of this sort. We cannot but allow that their gods are powerful, since they give them victory over all other people, but no doubt we shall learn more of them and of many other things in time." the journey was continued for another three weeks and was the cause of constant surprises to the captives the extraordinary fertility of the land especially struck them cultivation among the rebu was of a very primitive description and the abundance and variety of the crops that everywhere met their eye seemed to them absolutely marvellous irrigation was not wholly unknown to the rebu and was carried on to a considerable extent in persia but the enormous works for the purpose in egypt the massive embankments of the river the network of canals and ditches the order and method everywhere apparent filled them with surprise and admiration many of the cities and temples greatly surpassed in magnificence and splendour those they had first met with and amuba's wonder reached its climax when they arrived at memphis till lately the capital of egypt the wealth and contents of the city astonished the captives but most of all were they surprised when they saw the enormous bulk of the pyramids rising a few miles distant from the town and learned that these were some of the tombs of the kings the country had now altered in character on the left a range of steep hills approached the river and as the march proceeded similar though not so lofty hills were seen on the right at last after another fortnight's travelling a shout of joy from the army proclaimed that thebes the capital of egypt the goal of the long and weary march was in view thebes stood on both sides of the nile On the eastern bank the largest portion of the population was gathered, but this part of the city was inhabited principally by the poorer class. There was, too, a large population on the Libyan side of the Nile, the houses being densely packed near the bank of the river. Behind these were numbers of temples and palaces, while the tombs of the kings and queens were excavated in a valley further back, whose precipitous sides were honeycombed with the rock sepulchres of the wealthy. As the dwelling-houses were all low, the vast piles of the temples, palaces, and public buildings rose above them, and presented a most striking appearance to those approaching the city, which lay in a great natural amphitheater, the hills on both sides narrowing toward the river both above and below it. The march of the royal army from Memphis had been on the western bank of the river, and it was the great Libyan suburb with its palaces and temples that they were approaching, as they neared the city an enormous multitude poured out to welcome the king and the returning army shouts of enthusiasm were raised the sound of trumpets and other musical instruments filled the air religious processions from the great temples moved with steady course through the dense crowd which separated at once to allow of the passage of the figures of the gods and of the priests and attendants bearing their emblems indeed jethro amuba exclaimed with enthusiasm it is almost worth while being made a slave if it is only to witness this glorious scene what a wonderful people are these what knowledge and power and magnificence why my father's palace would be regarded as a mere hut in thebes and our temples of which we thought so much are pygmies by the side of these immense edifices all that is true enough amuba and i do not say that i too am not filled with admiration and yet you know the rebu several times drove back their forces and man for man are more than a match for their soldiers our people are taller than they by half a head we have not so much luxury nor did we want it all this must make people effeminate perhaps so amuba assented but you must remember it is not so very long ago that we were a people living in tents and wandering at will in search of pasture and we have not i think become effeminate because we have settled down and built towns no one can say that the egyptians are not brave certainly it is not for us to say so though i agree with you that physically they are not our equals see how the people stare and point at us jethro i should think they have never seen a race like ours with blue eyes and fair hair though even among them there are varying shades of darkness the nobles and upper classes are lighter in hue than the common people the surprise of the egyptians was indeed great at the complexion of their captives and the decoration of their walls has handed down in paintings which still remain the blue eyes and fair hair of the rebu the rejoicings upon the return of the king went on for several days at the end of that time the captives were distributed by the royal order some were given to the generals who had most distinguished themselves many were assigned to the priests while the great bulk were sent to labor upon the public works the rebu captives whose singular complexion and fairness caused them to be regarded with special interest were distributed among the special favorites of the king many of the girls were assigned to the queen and royal princesses others to the wives of the priests and generals who formed the council of the king the men were for the most part given to the priests for service about the temples to his great delight amuba found that jethro and himself were among the eight captives who were assigned to the service of the priests of one of the great temples This was scarcely the effect of chance, for the captives were drawn up in line, and the number assigned to each temple were marched off together in order that there might be no picking and choosing of the captives, but that they might be divided impartially between the various temples, and as Jethro always placed himself by Amuba's side, it naturally happened that they fell to the same destination. On reaching the temple the little band of captives were again drawn up, and the high priest Amaris a grave and distinguished-looking man walked along the line scrutinizing them he beckoned to amuba to step forward henceforth he said you are my servant behave well and you will be well treated he again walked down the line and amuba saw that he was going to choose another and threw himself on his knees before him will my lord pardon my boldness he said but may i implore you to choose yonder man who stood next beside me he has been my friend from childhood he covered me with his shield in battle he has been a father to me since i have lost my own do not i implore you my lord separate us now you will find us both willing to labor at whatsoever you may give us to do the priest listened gravely it shall be as you wish he said it is the duty of every man to give pleasure to those around him if it lies in his power and as your friend is a man of thews and sinews and has a frank and honest face he will assuredly suit me as well as another do you therefore both follow me to my house the other captives saluted amuba as he and jethro turned to follow the priest observed the action and said to the lad were you a person of consequence among your people that they thus at parting salute you rather than your comrade who is older than you i am the son of him who was their king amuba said he fell in action with your troops and had not our city been taken and the nation subdued by the egyptians i should have inherited the throne is it so the priest said truly the changes and fortunes of life are strange i wonder that being the son of their king you were not specially kept by thortmes himself i think that he knew it not amuba said we knew not your customs and my fellow-captives thought that possibly i might be put to death were it known that i was a son of their king and therefore abstained from all outward marks of respect which indeed would to one who was a slave like themselves have been ridiculous perhaps it is best so the priest said thoughtfully You would not have been injured, for we do not slay our captives taken in war. Still, maybe your life will be easier to bear as the servant of a priest than in the household of the king. You had better, however, mention to no one the rank you have borne, for it might be reported to the king, and then you might be sent for to the palace, unless, indeed, you would rather be a spectator of the pomp and gaiety of the court than a servant in a quiet household." i would far rather remain with you my lord amuba said eagerly you have already shown the kindness of your heart by granting my request and choosing my comrade jethro as my fellow slave and i feel already that my lot will be a far happier one than i had ventured to hope judge not hastily by appearances the priest said at the same time here in egypt slaves are not treated as they are among the wild peoples of nubia and the desert there is a law for all and he who kills a slave is punished as if he took the life of an egyptian however i think i can say that your life will not be a hard one you have intelligence as is shown by the fact that you have so rapidly acquired sufficient knowledge of our tongue to speak it intelligibly can you too speak our language he asked jethro i can speak a little jethro said but not nearly so well as amuba my lips are too old to fashion a strange tongue as rapidly as can his younger ones you speak sufficiently well to understand the priest said and doubtless will in time acquire our tongue perfectly this is my house the priest entered an imposing gateway on each side of which stretched a long and lofty wall at a distance of fifty yards from the gate stood a large dwelling compared to which the royal abode which amuba had been brought up in was but a miserable hut enclosed within the walls was a space of ground some three hundred yards square which was laid out as a garden avenues of fruit trees ran all round it a portion was laid out as a vineyard while separated from the rest by an avenue of palm trees was a vegetable garden In front of the house was a large piece of water in which floated a gaily painted boat. Aquatic plants of all kinds bordered its edges. Graceful palms grouped their foliage over it. The broad, flat leaves of lilies floated on its surface, while the white flowers which Amuba had seen carried in all the religious processions, and by large numbers of people of the upper rank, and which he heard were called the Lotus, rose above them. The two captives were struck with surprise and admiration at the beauty of the scene, and forgot for a moment that they were slaves as they looked round at a vegetation more beautiful than they had ever beheld. A smile passed over the countenance of the priest. Perfect happiness is for no man, he said, and yet methinks that you may in time learn at least contentment here. End of chapter 3